Hi, welcome to episode 23 of The Teacher's Promise. I'm your host, Brett Hansen, and I'm proud to celebrate, inspire, and nurture educators around the world by sharing the true stories of extraordinary educators in everyday schools. Before we get to the interview, I need to inform you that, unfortunately, I broke Facebook again. At least, I broke my little corner of the Facebook universe. For some reason, they froze my account for a second time. I still don't know what I did wrong the first time, but it must be me by now. I know social media is supposed to be really easy. Not for me. For now, I'm going to search for a different way to connect with more educators to spread the word about the teacher's promise and share more teacher's stories. So, if you wouldn't mind, could you please help me out by telling some people about this podcast? Because I'm obviously doing something wrong on Facebook. And now to the good stuff. We are finally featuring a math teacher, and I assure you, it's completely my fault for taking so long. But the wait will be worth it after you hear Alyssa Miller tell her 21st century story of how she uses social media to find the best lessons for her small town students in southern Illinois, and then implements peer-to-peer learning to keep them engaged. Alyssa won a gold and apple award for her dedication, energy, and, well, just listen to her story and you'll understand. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this week, we have a wonderful guest, Alyssa Miller, a spectacular math teacher um, who does wonderful things in the state of Illinois. Uh, Alyssa, it's a great pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Thanks. I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, before we get going on some specific questions, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into teaching and how you became such a wonderful math teacher? Sure. Well, teaching is the only career that I've ever even thought about as a kid. I played school. I I literally remember I had a yellow legal pad that I would create a fake grade book. Then I would make fake papers so that I could grade them and then put the grades in my fake grade book. So I was really serious about that. Um, I came home from school one day and told my mom I wanted to be a teacher. And she said, why? And I said, so I can show all my teachers how to do it right. <laughs> And that yeah, is a little indicator of, uh, of my personality. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this is my 14th year teaching. I teach at the school that I went to. And interestingly enough, my dad went there and my grandpa actually helped to build the school. And then my dad's wow. siblings went there. My sisters all went there. And now my niece and nephew go there. So uh, kind of a family affair. And when I was yeah. a senior you... in high school. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, can you tell everybody where your school is located? Oh, Egyptian school. We're in Southern Illinois. So we're in a really tiny town and we're literally like surrounded by fields. So you're just driving along. All of a sudden a little school pops up and then you keep going and there's more fields. So no one accidentally runs into our school. But um, I, when I was a senior in high school, my principal asked me, he said, I heard you were going to become a math teacher. And I was like, yeah, that's the plan. He's like, well, if you do come back here and you can work. And so that's basically what I did. I didn't really even have like an interview or anything. I think I just like turned in my resume, which had like, you know, my teenager high school jobs. And then as soon as I graduated college, I started subbing there because I graduated in December. So I was like in the middle of a school year. And then after that six months of subbing and the next school year came along, they just hired me. And then I have worked there ever since. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. And I mean, um, one thing for is certain is that, 
all, schools everywhere, whether it's today or 14, 15 years ago, are desperate for good math teachers. So they, that's yeah. your school lucked out. Yeah. And my school is kind of like, we're like 30 minutes from Missouri. So we're close to the uh, state line. So I went to SEMO and got my bachelor's degree. And then after I came back and started working at Egyptian, we actually got a grant where we had a cohort of teachers go through and get a master's degree from SIU, which is in Carbondale, which is like 45 minutes from me. So our school is kind of situated to be close to two different universities. And so I did get my master's degree because I worked at this school. And then it's, like I said, it's a very small school. So I'm the only math teacher. So I teach nine through 12 math. So I have algebra one, geometry, algebra two, and trig. And then also when you teach at a small school, you get to do lots of extra jobs too. So I am also the sponsor of student council, cheerleading prom and yearbook. And some of the kids like to make a joke that if anything fun happens at school, it's because Miss Miller is doing it. So that's that's kind of how it goes. That's a good reputation to have. Yeah. Yeah. I taught in a tiny school in Oregon um, at the beginning of my career. And uh, it was, there was one high school English teacher, one high school math teacher. I taught middle school English and art. Um, It was wonderful in many ways. So that was, that was yeah, nice. I, say, I, like, I, liked I, I get all the credit, but I also get all the blame because you're the one doing everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you get a lot of credit. I bet you do well. So, Thank you. so if in, in a small school like that, what role does compassion or kindness play in, in the way you teach math or in your work in general? Well, one thing that I really love is that I know all of the students. And even when they come to me in ninth grade, I still already know them because we are like a one school district. So we have pre-K through 12 all in one building. So every year when I get my rosters for ninth grade, I look at them and be like, okay, I need to make sure I know everybody's names. And then I read them and I'm like, okay, I already know every single kid without hardly even trying, it seems like. But of course, now that I've taught there for 14 years, I'm old enough to teach, you know, their siblings or their cousins. Or just in a small school, you just hear about kids and things. So I think one thing that's a benefit is like, I don't really have to work too hard to get to know them because it's kind of like, I already know them and they kind of already know me. And so I think it's a lot easier to have compassion when you know people's story and background. And a lot of times, like I know where they live, I know their parents, you know, I already, of course, hear from other teachers, the kind of students they are. So in some ways, I think it takes out the awkwardness of getting to know people and building up relationship. It was kind of like we have a head start and we can just like jump in and go from there. And that's something I don't know that I would have as strongly if I taught at a big school where I had different students every single year and had to like every year, you know, learn new names and all that. So I think that's definitely one benefit of working in a tiny school. Yeah. In an earlier episode, Amanda Spooty talked about the pros and cons of teaching in a rural district, and hers wasn't as small or isn't as small as yours, but that was something that she pointed out to the the benefit of of knowing people and those connections. So that's that, that's a a wonderful asset for people in schools your size. So what um recommendation would you give to other educators, whether they're in a small school or a larger school, about how we can better cultivate compassion in the classroom? Well, one thing that I think really builds a sense of trust between me and the kids is being accessible to answer their questions. I know that, you know, some people are hardcore about, you know, don't check your school email at home and don't, you know, don't let people contact you outside of business hours and that kind of thing. But 
like I have a school Instagram account where I post different events from school and that's where most of the kids are. I mean, actually most of the kids are on Snapchat, but you know, we're not getting on Snapchat, but anyway, on Instagram, a lot of the kids follow my account and I used to post like an activity from class every day. So, you know, when kids would get to me, they'd be like, Oh, I've seen this on your Instagram before and that kind of thing. But also I just keep the kids updated. And so I'm kind of like the contact person. They'll, they'll message me and be like, Oh, what time is the basketball game tonight? Or how much does it cost to get in? Or what day do we come back from Christmas break? Like, I'm just kind of like the ambassador from kids to the school sometimes I feel like. And so for me, I think it takes very little effort to like quickly send back an answer to those questions. But I think that starts building a level of trust between me and the kids because sometimes they'll message me and be like, can you email Mr. So-and-so and ask him this? Cause he won't answer his email or, you know, that kind of thing. And so I think they really see that I'm interested in keeping them connected and answering questions. And so one of my main things I would say is to be accessible and to follow up because just because they ask me a question doesn't mean I always know the answer, but I will email or call or text or whatever until I get an answer and then get back to them. And I think that just, that just kind of shows that you care and that you're concerned about what they're concerned about. So that's one thing. That one's more like outside yeah. the classroom, I guess. And then a second well, one. It's still meaningful. It's about creating those connections. Yeah. Creating those right. relationships. Yeah. And yeah. then actual like teaching advice in the classroom. I've noticed in myself is to like get on their level. And when I say that, I mean like literally and figuratively. So in high school, um, I think sarcasm is a tool that high school teachers use a lot. But if you're not careful, it can become rude and not funny anymore. So I feel like it's easy if you're standing at the front of the class to make like a joke or a sarcastic comment or, you know, get distracted. But when you get on that kid's level, like literally bend down to their level or pull a chair up and just sit next to them, it just creates like a different vibe and it's more personal between you and them. So sometimes when I know a kid is like completely lost or just struggling or not doing the work, I literally just pull up my chair and start, okay, number one, here's what we do first and go step by step. And something about that gives me more patience. And, you know, when you're at their level, it's easier for you to make eye contact and doesn't feel necessarily like they're in trouble because you're like standing over them and like pointing your finger at them. You're literally sitting with them. So it's more like you've become a classmate. You've become someone on their level, literally, instead of just someone at the front of the class yelling at them or, you know, ignoring their questions or moving on too fast without them and that kind of thing. So I feel like that's something I do when I feel myself kind of getting frustrated with a kid, especially if they're not doing their work. Then I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pull my chair. And it's really hard for a kid to sit and do nothing when their teacher is like sitting at their elbow. (laughs) So you're also showing your willingness to help them and not just like, oh, well, you're not going to do your work. So I'm going to ignore you. No, I'm going to, you know, get my hands dirty and sit down with you and I'm going to be in it with you and we're going to get through this. I think it communicates compassion in a different way. Yeah, I think so too. And obviously from everything that I've seen and read about you um, with the you know press release from your Golden Apple Award and the videos and those things, which I'll have on the show notes, um, you know, you are working hard to make sure everybody's working and growing. You know, it's it seems very clear that students are going to learn when they're in your classroom. So that's great advice for everyone. And I feel like that's kind of so, where my gift as a teacher comes in is I've always been good at explaining things and breaking things down. So then that's the part that I'm going to use the most to try to get the kids, you know, to do what I want them to do is to do the explaining and the breaking down into little steps and things like that. Yeah. 
which is essential in math. I mean, I, I like math. It's always come relatively easy to me. I never went up into the higher levels, but I, I think a teacher who can break things down and simplify it so kids who are struggling can see it more clearly, that's a great asset. So, so. why should people become educators today? Well, my gut reaction is that they shouldn't because we're not we're not paid enough and we get less and less support as the years go, it seems like. But um, one thing I would say is maybe they should become members of Congress or politicians because they seem to have more control and power over our schools than the teachers and students that are in them. So maybe they can become that and write some better policies for us. But if they are interested in teaching, I have to say your passion really has to be students and pretty much nothing yeah. else because if, if your passion is you know an office job or a desk job this ain't it if your passion is yeah. uh, external validation and making a lot of money and winning a lot of awards this ain't it and right. the number one thing this has been one of my hardest years of teaching and the number one thing when i talk to my teacher friends or my parents or whoever they're like okay remember you're there for the kids you're there for the kids is this making it better for the kid you know and that really has to be your focus and also those are the people that you spend the most time with during this job. So if you don't like students and you're just there because you want to do cool lessons or read cool books or you do some cool activities, this is not it. This is not the job for you. Your, your passion really has to be, I want to be here for kids. I want to make their lives easier. I want to make school a better place for them. And if not, then I don't think you're going to last very long in this career. Yeah. And, and it's not, you're not going to get the real benefits. I completely agree with you. I wish teachers, I wish we were all paid better and I wish there was more respect and I wish and I wish and I wish. And one of these days we're probably going to have an episode where I'll invite anybody who wants to talk a bit about that topic on, but I completely agree. It's about service and compassion and caring for kids. And uh, that's that's the most important thing. And obviously you're doing a great job down there. Um, so what about some of the teachers who have been like that for you? Some of the mentors, some people who showed you through practice the importance of service or compassion or kindness. Can you tell us about some of them? Well, one cool thing I want to say about working at the school that I went to is that when I came back to teach, I worked with a lot of my teachers. So that's kind of weird, kind of cool. But um, I guess starting from elementary, my first grade teacher, her name was Miss Gordon. She is still working at the school. And so now she is like my mentor teacher, but I was her first class of first graders. So I was there her first year of teaching. And she's kind of like uh, the mentor of all the teachers of the school. She's super positive. She's kind of like the me version of in elementary. She does all the extra stuff. She's in charge of all that. So it's kind of like she runs elementary and I run high school. And then we get together and cry when we get <laughs> frustrated. But um, It's nice to have a kindred spirit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, I promise every time I talk to her, we end up crying and I'm not even a person that cries like that, but she, that's just her personality. Everybody loves her. The kids love her. The teachers love her. You cannot say no to her. If she asks you to do anything, you're just automatically going to do that. So those are some skills I need to learn because she's a few years away from retirement. So then I'm like, okay, I need to inherit this trait of getting people to help me and not be able to say no. But so she's still an encouragement to me. And then my second grade teacher, Miss Gunning, she's retired now, but, um, she just has such a calming demeanor. Like, I feel like we could have like set the classroom on fire and she would have just been calmly like, all right, students, let's exit the classroom. You know, she was just always super calm. <laughs> and then like guiltily, I think of that every time 
which hopefully is not very often, but if I end up yelling at my class or like getting really frustrated, I think of her and I'm like, she literally never yelled at us. And she had second graders, like if she can do it, <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. And then as I got older, um, my high school math teacher, which of course I am a math teacher. So, you know, probably one of the reasons that I chose math, but whenever I'd have a question, I kind of wasn't used to having questions because I was like the smart kid who was good at school. And then as I got in higher math classes and started struggling some, I, it was like a struggle for me to even go ask because I was so used to everything just coming so easily to me. And she always had a stack of blank scrap paper on her desk. And when you would come over and ask her a question, she would take a piece of paper and then she would draw out whatever the problem was. She'd like label it or and she like point to it and explain it. And there was something about that that just made it easier for me to focus on just that one problem and not feel overwhelmed. And that it just made so much sense to me. And so that's something I try to do now, except, you know, I'm kind of updated and we do dry erase. So I don't have my little stack of paper, but I carry around my little marker and we have dry erase desks so I can just draw right on their desk. But I think just her, she never made me feel stupid for asking a question and she would just redraw the pro problem, talk about it. And so that's kind of things that I try to do now in my math class. And then in high school, also my high school band teacher, Miss Adams, she was working there when I started working there. And so she kind of helped me through the personal girl drama of high school. And I would cry it out and tell her what was going on. And she would just give me advice that probably my mom would have given me too. But as a teenager, I didn't want to talk to my mom about those kind of things. And then once I came back and started teaching with her, she was still kind of my mom. Like sometimes I would literally just go to her room and be like, I need a hug. Just I need you to be my school mom and talk me through this. And now she's retired as well. And then um, my high school English teacher really made me feel like a good writer and made me feel smart. And she kind of made me feel like not exactly on her level, but kind of would talk to me about things and where I felt like, oh, she really thinks I'm smart. And her name was Miss Rabinowitz and she's still a teacher, but she's moved away and doesn't teach at my school anymore. But um, my mom really wanted me to become an English teacher. And actually English was my like best subject. But to me, math was like a puzzle to figure out. And I felt like all the other subjects were things where I either had to lecture a lot or just memorize a bunch of facts. And for math, it felt like I was actually doing something like, oh, it's a puzzle. I need to figure it out. And so I did end up choosing math, but English and reading is still a love that I have. Yeah. Well, your teachers sound wonderful. You, you had a lot of great teachers. I'm happy <laughs> really that we did. get to share their names on the show. Yes. <laughs> we'll try to see if we can... Uh, send them an email or contact them some way so they can hear about uh, what they did for you and how much they mean to you. Cause that's a big part of, of the teacher's promise program, podcast, everything to, um, to thank these wonderful people who have come before us. So um, thank yes. you to and them. For anyone, listen for anyone listening, if you have a teacher that really made a difference, please email them because that's one of the, <laughs> the few perks that we get years later is to hear the impact that we had. Yeah. I got a letter recently. Um, well, I, I, I get them, you know, usually every year, but not a whole lot of them. But, um, and often there, they'll say something like, I didn't really like you as much when you were my teacher, Mr. Hansen, but now, you know, those kinds of things. So, yeah. Um, I try to be funny, but there's a lot of work to do and I really want to prepare them for their future. So, uh, but yeah. I understand um, it, it is important. It's wonderful stuff. So, um, what would you like to bring up to discuss? What do you think is an important issue that, that uh, other teachers should hear about? Well, kind of the whole focus of, you know, this podcast has been talking about students and relationships with students and things like that. 
And so a lot of times people in the community will come ask me like, uh, oh, you think you're going to be a principal one day? Are you going to be a superintendent? That kind of thing. And I just have no (laughs) desire to do any of those jobs. So to me, it's frustrating that there's no good way for teachers to advance up the career ladder without getting farther away from the kids. Like, that's why I'm there. I don't want to pick a job where I'm going to be farther away from my students. And as a math teacher, like kids don't really choose to take math. They are required to. So I have pretty much every kid in the high school for at least, you know, three plus years, because in Illinois, you're required to take three years of math. So some I have for four, some I have for three. So it's like, I feel like I see every kid and have a chance to know, you know, make an impact. And if I became a principal, I feel like I'm going to be, you know, sitting in my office and not seeing that many kids. And so I did kind of talk to uh, my principal retired last year that was there when I started and I asked him like why did you want to be a principal that job seems so terrible but he was a former art teacher and so with art only a few people you know choose to take it and so he felt like being a principal he would see the kids way more because he only saw you know the kids that chose to take art so I thought that was an interesting perspective but for me I feel like in you know, I see it in my school, like I talked about Ms. Gordon and me, we're kind of like the unofficial teacher leaders. And people kind of know if some new volunteer job or something comes up, everybody's like, Oh, Ms. Gordon will do it. Ms. Miller will do it, that kind of thing. And you know, we are paid for some of the extracurricular stuff that we do. But there should be some kind of teacher leader, like position or or compensation or something, because there's so many things that we do that people don't know about or don't realize or that are not paid for. And if you want to keep teachers, I think you should look in your school and support the ones that are already there doing the work. And then their positivity about how they're treated will help draw in more teachers to work there. But if the only way to get paid better is, you know, to be a superintendent or to be a principal and my school already has those, then basically what you're telling me is the only option for you to make more money or to, you know, get promoted is to leave the school and leave these kids. And here I am investing my life and time with these kids year after year And I feel like there should be some kind of way to be a teacher leader or be something else. Like I kind of joke with my superintendent and tell him that there should be a job called uh, a teacher, like teacher manager. And I'll just go around from class to class and help all the teachers and make everything. I'm like, can I do that? But even if I did for real do that, I would still be sad that I can't teach because I really enjoy teaching and being with the kids. So there should be some way that teachers are rewarded and allowed to stay in the classroom instead of well, hey, you're a really good teacher. Let's get you away from the kids and put you in office. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if we look at um, other countries who have good education systems, teachers are paid on a more equal basis or a, a you know quantitative basis as other professionals. And it is really unfortunate that um, it doesn't happen in our profession. And I personally think that we are seeing the unfortunate consequences, and that is extreme teacher shortages. And like you said, people leaving to go someplace else so they can make more money when they've really developed something wonderful in their schools. So um, we'll put that on the list and see if maybe we can brainstorm, but um, it's a good idea. Teacher managers, but I agree who wants to leave the kids. I mean, I I feel exactly the same way. I would never want to stop teaching in a classroom to go be the principal. I, I'm kidding? very grateful for my to, principal. You want me to leave this and go work with adults all day? Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost can, always the problems. <laughs> you're right. And the main way I can feel good about students, and even when they make me cra- crazy, is like, well, 
they're teenagers. They don't know. They're learning. But if when we get to adults and they act the same way teenagers do, what is your excuse? No, you should know better. <laughs> You're yeah. old enough to know. Yeah, I agree. So, so um, you know, we're getting a little closer to the end here, and I want to give you a chance to tell everybody what's new for you. I know you've got a wonderful blog. We'd love to hear about that. And um, uh, the math Twitter blogosphere, tell us a little bit about that. What what can um, we learn from your blog, and, and what else would you like us to know? Okay, so I'm so lucky that I found this group of people before I even started teaching. Like I said, I graduated in December, so I had about six months of subbing. And sometimes I would be like the librarian and different things. So I would just get on the computer and I wanted to like prepare myself for teaching even more. So I just started like Googling stuff. I don't even really remember how I came upon it, but it was a math teacher blog. And it was just this math teacher, like just describing a lesson in his class. And at the end, he like shared the worksheet he used so you could click on it and download it and use it yourself. And I was like, wait, this is a thing that people do. (laughs) Because honestly, I did not. (laughs) I did not really enjoy the college experience and I did not really feel that I learned <laughs> much to be a teacher. Like nobody taught me how to make a quiz or a test. Nobody taught me how to write a final exam. Nobody even really taught me how to grade. Like I felt like nothing was very useful and I really struggled with the math part of it because I'm here, I'm in here, you know, taking calculus one, calc two, calc three, all these math classes. I'm thinking, how is this going to help me teach high school geometry? <laughs> you know, like I would, I did not nope. even like understand how any of the college stuff related to what I was going to teach. I was kind of mad. Like I have to do all this just to get a piece of paper to go teach. And then when I get to the teaching, I don't even know how to do any of it. <laughs> so I really felt like I learned how to teach from the internet. So I was obsessed during this time because since I was just subbing, I showed up every day and they would give me a job, but it's not like I had to go home and do lesson plans or grade because I was just subbing. So I would just spend as much time as I could reading and then the one blog I read would link other teacher blogs. So I would just start clicking. Next thing I see, there's this whole network of math teachers who are just out here giving away free. (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh, I was downloading every single thing. And I was just like, this is amazing. Well, then I'm not sure exactly what time, like this was around 2009. So I don't know what year that Twitter started, but somehow people on the blog started mentioning Twitter. So I joined that. And I was so excited about this that I wanted to have a blog too. So I started my blog, but I wasn't even teaching it. And I don't even want to go back and look and see what I wrote about because I obviously knew nothing. So, but I was already blogging before I started teaching. And then on Twitter, people were kind of doing the same things, just kind of like talking about teaching. And I was just like, I did not even know this existed. This is amazing. So my entire teaching career is documented on my blog. So that is something really cool. I can go back and see what I did like during my first year, even though I try to block out most of my (laughs) first year memories. But And your blog is called Miscalculate? Yes, I I love puns and I love my name going into other words. So Miscalculate, (laughs) I just thought that was so funny. And now I kind of wish I would have picked it, but it's fine. And um. So I kind of wanted to give back what they had given to me. So as I progressed in my career and, you know, would make up an activity or something, I was like so pumped to do it with the kids. But I think I was secretly a little more pumped that I had something to blog about. Like, oh, my God, this is going to be cool. I can go put it on my blog. And it is really cool to go back and see the growth. But like blogging has kind of died off. People don't really do it as much. But I'm trying to keep it up forever, even if there's only a few posts each year, because I love the fact that my entire career is doc. I mean, like I even took pictures of my classroom and you can see how they go from very ugly to much better. <laughs> like it's such a cool thing. And I don't know how many people can say that their entire career is documented somewhere. 
So I really love that. Yeah, that is cool. I just know how like desperate I was for help. Like I would just come home every single night and be like, all right, tomorrow I'm teaching equations. Anybody got a worksheet? Like I would just get on Twitter and literally just beg because I didn't really have a curriculum. I mean, they gave me a textbook. But like I said, I didn't even know how to teach. I didn't know how to do anything. So I'm like, what do I do with this? Nobody wants to read a math textbook, you know, like, and now I don't even use textbooks. But I feel like, one, I could not be a teacher without the internet. I don't know how people did it before me. So like, that is just, I am an all because <laughs> I, especially for small schools, like, I know the most math of anyone in my school because I'm a high school math teacher. So we have a middle school math teacher and then we have elementary. But I can't go ask them like a trig question and be like, hey, how would you do, you know, like I am like the authority of math in my school. And that's terrifying because <laughs> what happens when I need help? And so it still happens in trig sometimes if I can't explain something that well, or, you know, sometimes the kids will be like, I don't understand. I will literally just take a picture of it, put it on Twitter and be like, how do I explain this? Or how do I do this? And I will get, you know, anywhere from like five to 10 different teachers who will answer me within a few hours. And like, that is amazing. Even if I had other math teachers in my school, it would be hard for me to get to, the, to find the time to go ask them the question and even get to talk about it. Whereas I can just tweet it and then in a few hours have answers all on my computer and tell the kids like that's something that I mean, that's priceless to me. Um, we're rural yeah. and we're really small, you know, so there's no one close to us and there's no one in my building. So I feel like I have my own teacher's lounge of people out there and like they'll listen to me rant. <laughs> they'll give me advice. They encourage me. When I ask questions, I answer them. They're blogging or tweeting about their cool ideas. I can constantly like steal stuff from them. And I don't know, it's just like a window into the world of teaching that I don't know how you would get any other way before the internet. Like, I just, yeah. I, I don't think I could be a teacher without it, and they've made me who I am. That's great. We will uh, try our best to make sure that they are thanked by uh, putting your uh, links to your blog, to the <clears throat> Twitter handles, the um, hashtags, and anything else that will help people connect to the same resources that have helped you. I'm really hopeful that, um, if not right now, soon we'll get this podcast to uh, younger teachers as well. And I'm confident that somebody's going to listen to this and think, oh, wow, I could just go there and I can do this. And they're going to view you as um, one of the mentors who helped you out, but it'll be for them. So great job. Once again, for everyone, if you didn't catch all that, don't worry. You just go to the show notes and um, we'll make sure that you can find everything you need to get to miscalculate Blogspot or uh, find the hashtag for tweeting or anything like that. So this is the favorite part of the show for me, uh, the end of the show where I get to thank Alyssa for um, all she does. And there's a lot to thank, and I'm just going to do my best. Uh, first of all, I definitely want to thank these wonderful teachers who not only uh, mentored you, but also raised you. It's amazing that you, you know, go to the same school that you uh, teach in the same school that you went to. And so we want to thank uh, Miss Gordon and Mrs. Gunning and Mrs. Vines, Miss Adams and Miss Rabinowitz for all they did for you, for not only teaching you, but showing you what it's like to be a great teacher. And we want to thank uh, the you know, Golden Apple uh, Committee or group for recognizing you and finding you. You know, small schools are often neglected. Really glad that the Egyptian school was recognized, and I'm sure they're very proud of you. You know, thank you to uh, your wonderful parents who are obviously helping you become a math teacher and, and helping you prepare when you were a kid and getting you those yellow pads. 
Um, and thank you, especially to you, Alyssa, for not only becoming a teacher, but getting down in the trenches and helping kids with whatever they need and figuring out whatever it takes. Uh, your relationship with the internet is a perfect example. It doesn't matter how we figure out what we need to know to teach them, just that we do it and we care about them. So thank you very much for being a teacher, for being an educator, and for all you do. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Alyssa epitomizes an excellent teacher, no matter what subject. But we should also thank all the wonderful math educators in the world. It's a difficult topic to teach, but we all need math skills, so thank you, math teachers. Please return next week to hear Deb Riddle's story of how her faith guides her teaching in a small religious school in Illinois. What I find most compelling about her story is her kindness. It fills her work, her relationships, and her life. There are a lot of ways to serve children. Deb shows us yet another way. And always remember that you are part of the noblest profession, no matter where or what you teach. That all children are our children and deserve our intelligent compassion. And that you must take care of yourself in order to take care of others. So please do that. Take care of yourself. And tell your fellow educators how important they are. Spontaneous gratitude goes a long way. See you next week. And please tell other educators to check us out. Thank you.